We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel and regular guest on the show, Will Jackson. Guys, how we doing? I love having the trio. Love a threesome of menage a trois. <laughs> yeah, rough loss, but looking forward to the pod. Yeah, 131-121, obviously the trio on here. We like to talk about wins, but the Nets put a pretty good effort forward. Yeah, in the final three quarters, the Nets outscored the Bucks. It was just that first quarter going down to 35-20. to 20. Um, really lackadaisical and just the Bucks were getting whatever they wanted in the offensive end. And uh, it came back to haunt us. You know, we did a lot of really good things in the final three quarters, but um, that margin was too much to claw back. Giannis had his moments. Pat Connaughton, George Hill had one of the games of his life, sort of like an old school sort of game for him. But um, some encouraging signs, but, you know, at least the other teams around us lost as well, but uh, a missed opportunity at the same time. Yeah, down 22 in the first quarter. I mean, great fight to come back and... uh take the lead midway through the second, but uh, just couldn't finish it in the fourth. Yeah, I mean, and we know the Bucks are a more talented team, and it was a good effort, like you guys pointed out. That first quarter was really rough. The Nets didn't necessarily come out with the energy, and they didn't really anticipate the defense the Bucks were going to throw at them. But before we get dive any deeper, just quick reminder, check us out on iTunes, Block Talk Radio, OTGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, and YouTube. But guys, what went wrong exactly in that first quarter? Was it on the players? Was it the Bucks' intensity? What do you think it was? I don't think the Nets were engaged enough on the defensive end. And they were just letting, they were getting easy jumpers, the three-pointers. They were sort of doing what we would want to do on the offensive end. And we just weren't, you know, switched on enough in that sort of sense. And uh, it, it showed. And, and you can't let a team 
as good as the Milwaukee Bucks, the best team in the league this season, get any sort of head start. Um, there were times where the, the Nets were missing just some of their shots at the same time, but the Bucks are a tremendously talented team, even with Middleton, Ilyasova, Brogdon, these guys, Miritich out. Um, they're still going to take advantage of you. They're an incredibly deep team, um, and they just showed why, you know, if you give them any sort of a head start and, and anything easy, then they're going to take it. Yeah, like like Jack said, just low energy to start the game. Um, just a few lazy turnovers, some bad shots. We just weren't getting anything to hit. Uh, it was just a really rough first quarter that we just uh, let them get a head start at. What do you guys think changed? You know, what turned it over? I mean, late in the first quarter, they kind of switched it over, and then that early second quarter, they really turned it on. I'm going to say that the initial spark was Karis Avert and their Davis. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I was going to say Karis Avert really started to get it going in that second quarter. Uh, was, really started, oh, he ahead, was amazing, Jack. wasn't he, Will? What, what, what were your thoughts on, him, on that sort of second quarter from him? Well, I mean, I think that we're starting to really finally see that uh, Karis Avert that we saw in the beginning of the year. I mean, he's able to hit his threes again. He's able to finish at the rim again. He's able to drive. He's passing better. I mean, just an all-around better game than what we saw when he first came back. Yeah, he was. Uh, he finished the game with the third highest plus minus. Uh, I thought he was our best player for the night. I was speaking to Nick at the at the half. You know, D'Angelo had his moments, but still an inconsistent and, and poor sort of shooting game from him. But he did get to the line, did get some free throws, and did rebound the ball really well. Whereas Karras's, it was just the the Karras of old, as as the boys on the broadcast were sort of saying. We just saw the driving and some nice whip around passes to Jared Allen. The three ball was hitting. Um, and I really liked him and D'Angelo out there together. Um, I put out a tweet for Nets Republic as I was holding it down that it was a, bit, a little bit frustrating that Spencer couldn't have it going at the same time. But I mean, I think D'Angelo and Karras, they, they balance each other out nicely. It's, I think D'Angelo with one of those two other guards is what our best lineups are because I think Spencer and Karras sort of cancel each other out to an extent. Um, so I'd be interested to see, you know, an in-depth breakdown of those minutes sort of together, what the plus minus was and, and the on and off rating. But Karras was great. He was doing a lot of good things. He just looked really composed and really confident and his shot was falling. And I think that just gives you all the confidence in the world. And, you know, he was making those passes that we know he can make. He just, he was finishing over Giannis. It was just really strong, really composed and um, his best game. I, I, I'd be interested to, interested to look at, you know, his other games of the season because, this still was obviously one of the better ones, you know, with the Nuggets game and the Knicks game where you got those game winners. But Karras was great. Yeah, he yeah. really was. And, you know, it was the confidence, like you said, Jack. And I felt like when he knocked down those threes early, it kind of opened a lane up a little bit more because they couldn't go under the screens, started getting that pick and roll a little bit. He was also doing a really good job of probing the paint. I think his vision probably was the best in this game because he wasn't just hitting Jared Allen or Ed Davis for easy layups. He was pushing out to the three-point line. Yeah, and you uh... – you just saw that he was playing with so much more energy when he came in the second quarter, and that's what the Nets really needed. Do you guys think that they should consider starting a lineup where it's, you know, either Spencer Dooney and D'Angelo Russell or D'Angelo Russell and Karis LeVert? Yeah, Jack, um, yeah um, uh, possibly. But at the same time, I think that this starting lineup is probably a better one. You know, you can make – lots of people are making the argument for Ed Davis to be starting as well. Um, I think that it doesn't necessarily make a difference, but Coach Kenny needs to be on it early. Um, it seems to me that it took a while for him to sort of get the the other guys out there. Um, you know, took out Rodion, took out Jarrett, and get Ed Davis and and the, and the other guys in. Uh, so I think he needs to be a little bit more proactive in that sense, sort of before the tide really starts to turn, especially against these really good teams. And we are versing, you know, really good teams for the rest of the season. Um, but I think this was just an, an off night, sort of an, an aberration, so to speak. Um, I don't expect these guys, the starting lineup, to play as badly as they did. Um, 
But, you know, it's certainly an option. Um, you know, Karras obviously started initially. He had his issues there. Um, and Spencer Dimwitty has proven that he can start and is, is a proven starter, starter the caliber player in this league. Um, I, I like D'Angelo, you know, sort of running things early. Um, he has struggled in first quarters a little bit of late. And that third quarter seems to be his sort of signature quarter. But uh, it's certainly something to consider. Yeah, and I think uh, Spencer Dinwiddie is just so good coming off the bench. I mean, he's coming off the bench multiple for the most part of the season, except we think he has four starts. But um, no, he's just so good. He provides such an energy off the bench that I don't think that we need to put him in the rotation. Lavert, on the other hand, I mean, I'm not sure if the answer is to start him necessarily. I think Joe Harris and Krooks and Carroll do a really good job working together in that rotation. So I don't know if you want to mess that up. And I think Lavert also worked well with Dinwiddie off the bench, or if you want to throw Russell and Lavert off the bench as well. Uh, in the second unit. I think that works really well together, but I don't think that we necessarily need to start two guards at once. What did you guys think about Rodion's game? It was almost like he wasn't seen. I didn't really even notice him. Like the 17 minutes almost when I noticed, which is strange to see from him. His hands weren't as great as they normally are. You know, D'Lo was making those same sort of signature passes in terms of the, the connection. I did a, a breakdown for Nets Republic and there was a couple of in there which is the signature sort of, you know, rook to, to star connection with, with D'Lo and Rodion's. But um, he just wasn't, it just didn't seem as ready, as engaged. Wasn't one of his better games um, for the season, um, that's for sure. Did hit a three. Um, but I think at the same time, because we have, you know, the likes of Damari Carroll uh, winning the wings, Jared Dudley, you know, I think these guys can add value where Rodion's is having an off game. So uh, I don't think he was, he was horrible. Um, I just think he just had a bad game. Yeah, like Jack said, he wasn't really just finishing the passes that he usually gets from Russell. And then also, like he said, our bench unit is just so deep that we don't need to keep him out there for 30 minutes a game. Are you guys concerned at all with his production? Because it was, you know, four points this game. Last game, he obviously came out early with a knee injury. Zero points against Philadelphia, five points against Portland. Or do you think he's just kind of the offense is going away from him a little bit? I think you just need to keep things in perspective. He's still showing good energy. He's still rebounding the ball quite well. He's still getting some steals. Um, and he's still, you know, wholly exceeded expectations on, on what were the expectations on him preseason. You know, we didn't expect him to play more than 20 games, if that. And now he's starting for a team that's pushing for the playoffs. Um, there might become a time where you start Jared Dudley at time just to sort of see how things work in this final stretch of the season uh, and get Rodion's off the bench and see if he can provide that spark get that real juice going, as you like to say, Nick. But I think that he's fine. And even when he's playing bad, he's not, you know, turning the ball over a million times and, you know, giving away technical fouls and silly fouls. Yes, he does, you know, can give away some silly fouls at times, but I don't think his worst is going to adversely affect this Nets team where he'll be out of the rotation. Yeah, and uh, we've seen him struggle before like this. I mean, after the All-Star break, I think he went through a stretch like this where Ken even took him out of the starting lineup for a little bit. But uh, he's come back from it, and I have no doubt they can do that again. I think that, I mean, he's still doing what he can do, and he's still providing valuable minutes to this team. It's just he's not really getting it going offensively, but I have no doubt that he can definitely get it back going by the playoffs. What would you guys think about the other young, Jared Allen, obviously? He struggled probably more in the first half. Second half, he had some good moments, but overall there were probably some issues with his game. I mean, uh, it seems to me that Jared Allen has become the new whipping boy for the Brooklyn Nets with Ronda Hellas Jefferson now out of the rotation. It's it's amazing how things can change. I think sort of like uh, I preach perspective with a guy like Rodion Scorch, I think we need to preach perspective with a guy like Jared Allen at the same time. Second-year big man starting for, again, a playoff-ready team. Um, and he still had nine rebounds. I still liked his rebounding tonight. He got a couple offensive boards as well. Um, I just think that he feeds off the, the energy of the rest of the team. 
And if they're not sort of showing that aggression, then Jared Allen, he doesn't necessarily set the standard in that department. Uh, I don't think he has the sort of, you know, leadership qualities to sort of just make a big play or whatever. Um, he had some nice blocks tonight on Giannis and Lopez, which were quite good and fed him and, and the rest of the team. Uh, but I think, you know, it, you you can criticize him as much as you want. But at the same time, you know, you've got Ed Davis as well, um, providing plenty of physicality. Uh, I think that this was a better game from Jared Allen. But because we have such high expectations on him and such lofty standards of him, despite being only, you know, 20, 21 years old, um, then he, it's going to be hard for him to continue to uh, exceed them and, and keep producing at a high level. Yeah, I like him playing 27 minutes tonight. You know, he did have a little bit more energy towards that second half. He had the two big blocks, like uh, Jack mentioned. Um, obviously, he's always going to struggle with the rebounds because he just doesn't have as much physicality as some other bigs have. But, um, no, I, I thought there was a little bit of an improvement tonight, both offensively and defensively from, him, from what I we've seen the- in the league. One issue I would say I've had with Jared Allen probably over the last week or so, I think defensively the thing's a little bit overblown because of his size and what the Nets ask him to do. But offensively, he's having this issue where he's either getting the ball stripped or he's trying to put the ball on the floor and not really conscious of who's around him and trying to make these plays. And the result in turnovers, and these are plays we saw him either put up in the past, maybe miss a layup or convert on a layup. So that's, you know, obviously you have high standards for how you performed earlier in the year. And if you kind of come down a little bit from that, I think it's expected that people are going to be criticizing you yeah absolutely but uh another guy who probably you know he had a good third quarter I don't think he necessarily had a great game and that was Spencer Dinwiddie 12 points 19 minutes not his necessarily best showing no but there were times where he was still able to get to the line a little bit which was positive um it certainly wasn't his best game by any stretch he just couldn't really get into a rhythm some of his turnovers were a little bit careless but uh at the same time you know you're gonna have bad games along the way. And, and it just happened to be this one uh, for Spencer. And, you know, you take Karras's, um good game with that. You know, if I were to say to you, you blokes before the game, would you rather have Karras have an awesome game and get in some really good form and Spencer have a subpar game? Or would you rather have Spencer have a good game and Karras continue to struggle? I think that most of us would take Karras, you know, on the improve because we know Spencer, um, he's got these the sort of established base and, you know, he's going to have some of his ups and downs as all players do. Um, but I think that overall, he, he wasn't, he was probably one of our worst players. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, I expect a bounce back performance from him. Yeah, I thought there were times where he was kind of just holding the ball too long and trying to force up a bad shot. And I feel like that's something that he can improve on just uh, as time goes on. But uh, no, I mean, I feel like he had a strong third quarter, like he said. But um, yeah, he just tries to hold on to the ball a little bit too much and some turnovers that definitely cost the Nets at some points. Yeah, I thought the turnovers were a little sloppy in some positions. And obviously playing a team as long as the Bucks can kind of do that to you. But talking about a guy who probably had one of the better nights of all the Nets, and that's Joe Harris of 17 points, 6 and 9 from the field, 5 of 7 from 3. And he had some major hustle plays in this game. Yeah, those final plays where he was jumping into the third row, I bet he wished he was jumping onto the, the laps of Ashley Graham and Carly Clark. <laughs> um, but he was he was absolutely awesome, spilling beers left, right, and center, then gets to steal on Brooke Lopez. Um, Joe Harris is my favorite player. We all know that. And these are just the, the reasons why. And he comes up with big buckets left, right, and center. Ed Davis, you know, knows how to get him open and just lay some really physical screens. And Joe makes the most of them. Um, I thought he was tremendous tonight and tremendous in the stretch. It's just that on the other end of the floor, the Nets couldn't, you know, do enough to sort of um, allow his offense and sort of hustle plays, you know, exceed our sort of defensive weaknesses. Yeah, five to seven from three. I mean, there's not much more that you can ask out of a basketball player. 
Um, he's just so good coming off the screens. He's so good at uh, getting to the rim and putting up a shot. I mean, he can even pass it. Jack mentioned the huge offensive rebound. Uh, offensive rebounding was something that was really big for the Nets in this one, although we didn't come up on top. I mean, it felt like we were getting a lot more offensive rebounds than we usually did. Yeah, they definitely had an effort on the boards. And uh, Jack kind of mentioned with D'Angelo Russell kind of took advantage of Tim Frazier. You saw Karis LeVert in there, you know, Joe Harris. I thought that was, you know, a big effort from the Nets trying to attack a little bit inside, especially with the Bucks being so aggressive defensively. Uh, you know, we talked about Jack's favorite player. Now, I know Damari's one of your favorite players. Will, what would you think of his game? You know, Damari Carroll, I mean, he's always going to provide that veteran leadership. Um, in the rotation, he had 20 points. I mean, I really like his game. He was able to make some clutch threes when we needed them. Uh, six of eight from the line is always good. Um, yeah, he just provides that leadership. He's able to make the smart passes. He's uh, he's really good from three. I mean, there's one uh, three that I remember when Russell got the steal and gave it to Carroll. I mean, that was a huge momentum shift, and he's so good at just shifting the momentum for this team. Yeah, he was the only player who was in double digits and plus minus, so it shows how important he was tonight. You know, led the team in minutes with D'Lo and Joe Harris at 35. Um, he's just so important to what the Nets do in terms of, you know, in terms of the other guys' series uh, for OTGBasketball.com, it sort of epitomizes what Damari Carroll is. Um, I think he goes under the radar a lot. You know, Joe Harris won the three-point contest, so he's getting a little bit of kudos here and there. D'Angelo Russell is dominating Bleacher Report with all the teammates on the bench. But Damari Carroll continues to go under the radar, and I think his importance can't be understated. If we were to you know, knock on wood, lose him to injury or any sort of stretch. Um, I think it would be a tremendous loss for us. But Damari has been sensational, you know, off the bench and, and more recently as a starter. And you mentioned, Jack, plus 10. Obviously, we don't live or die by, uh, you know, plus minus. But he's plus 10 and he started the game. And that starting lineup was pretty bad in terms of the way they started. So to finish plus 10 is really impressive. Yeah, it, it proves the fact that, you know, Damari... When you're out there, Demar when when he was out there tonight, Damari Carroll made winning plays and was just tremendous on the floor. And uh, I, I think one thing, guys, and our boy Brian Fonseca tweeted out, uh, Kenny Atkinson quote: "We're going to have a huge film session tomorrow on transition defense. It seems like we've lost our principles." Uh, what were your thoughts on the the defensive end, especially against a team that has the likes of Eric Bledsoe, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and the like? who feed off transition offense. Giannis is just a cheat code when it comes to driving to the rim. I mean, he's just so big. He's so long. I mean, there's just not a lot that you can do when it comes to him. But other guys like Bledsoe, and I think George Hill got inside a little bit, those are the ones that you really need to get the stop on, you know? Yeah, I think against a team like Milwaukee, they're like a plus transition team with the athletes they have. You need to be really engaged. And it's not just on one guy because not one guy getting back is going to stop, you know, onto the Kumpo or even Eric Bledsoe. So I thought like as a team at times they were actually in position, but they weren't engaged enough to really shut them down. And they just let them get that momentum. And a guy like Giannis, when he gets momentum, there's really not much you can do. And he didn't even have a great shooting night. No, he didn't. He was just missing some bunnies that he would normally make. And um, it worked out well for us. But even when he's at his worst, he's just so goddamn strong, so goddamn just physically capable. It's it's hard to sort of see. But I think, yeah, trans are impossible to defend. It's like ridiculous. I don't think anybody can match those strides. I don't think, yeah, I, I think that in terms of his length, his strength, and all the angst you want to put in there, he's absolutely, you know, unguardable and a physical marvel and specimen. The likes we've never seen. But I think, yeah, transition defense has to be. Uh, a lot more switched on because uh, that's where you get easy buckets and, you know, be it threes, be it inside the paint. I think the Nets were horrible at guarding the paint tonight. And I think it was a huge reason to why we lost. I think we got, at one stage, we were down by like 30 in that department. Um, I'll have to look it up while you guys are chatting about it. But defending the paint and defending transition was just a, a really big thing tonight. 
And I think that's a problem when you face a team like Milwaukee because they have so many perimeter shooters and knocking down threes. You know, you're kind of forced to stick to the outside. And if you're not playing good on-ball defense, they're going to get in the paint. And, you know, there's just a lot of issues to deal with when you're facing the Bucks. And I think one thing in this game, you know, the Nets had their issues. But Milwaukee just provides so many mismatches against the team. There's only so much they can do where they almost have to play perfect defensively. Yeah, 30. Was... Go ahead, Jack. Yeah, I was just going to, in relation to what I was saying before, 33 fast break points, 68 points in the paint to the Nets, 42, and 15 fast break points for the Nets. So uh, absolutely destroyed in that department. 101. Yeah, it, oh, it's just insane. Yeah, back to what Nick was saying, there were some times when Jared Allen was a little bit scared to go up to guard Giannis towards the line, and Giannis was able to hit a three in his face. But if he does go up on that line, you're just scared that Giannis would just drive on you and uh, just make an open dunk, pretty much. Um, I, I really like, though, the play early in the game where Jared Allen was guard, guarding Eric Bledsoe. That one-on-one play really stuck out to me uh, as a takeaway, and I think a lot of people might miss it in the whole grand scheme of things because we've seen, haven't seen very often this season, Jared Allen guarding you know guards very often. He's normally sort of stuck his way down uh, low and sort of, you know, um, cemented himself there. But I really liked his defense on Eric Bledsoe, who is a really crafty player and, and was really having a, a great game tonight. So I think that's one area that, you know, Jared Allen can be confident with it too. He's a lighter seven-foot center, so he's definitely going to have an easier time guarding those guards. Uh, and I think that was a great matchup for him. Yeah, he forced him into a long contested too, and that's exactly what you want to do in that situation. So I think he actually does, you know, okay against the guards. It's like when he gets against some of the tougher wings, like there was a play against Sterling Brown where he just pretty much muscled him to the rim, just about positioning. And obviously we talked about Jared Allen's weight, you know, plenty of times on this show. Uh, D'Angelo Russell, what did you guys think of his game? You know, not amazing. He did have his moments, but efficiency-wise, uh, you know, there could be more. Yeah, good-ish from D'Lo. Um, I think that if you're... Um, grading uh, him against Eric Bledsoe. I think Eric Bledsoe got the best of him. Uh, a lot more efficient, uh, a lot more impactful. Five steals for Eric Bledsoe. Um, d did get one himself, um, had a couple of assists, was rebounding the ball at a tremendous rate, including a couple of offensive boards, which is something we don't normally see from him. But the six turnovers and um, the nine of 27 from the field and you know going to 33% from three, uh, I think the efficiency and just carelessness with the ball was one thing that you would probably give a strike against Delo, but he did also get to the line and, and took six rethrows, including a couple of techs. So I think overall Delo was positive, but not as positive as what Eric Bledsoe was uh, for his team. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the six free throws. He's been missing a lot lately, but he finally went six of six from the line. With Russell, I thought he was trying to take a little bit too many heat check threes at some points, which I don't mind him taking when he's really hot. But when it's, he only makes one, I feel like he needs to calm down a little bit. And then you mentioned the turnovers. Some of them just seem so careless that could have been controlled. But overall, I mean, not too bad, not too good from Russell. Yeah, I think a night like tonight, you know, you know, some of the tur- turnovers were careless. Some were miscommunications with Rodion's. I think assist-wise, you want to probably see more than three assists. Some of that's the Bucks' defense, but I think he needs to find a way to create a little bit more, especially when his efficiency isn't up. That arcing, ridiculous floater that he just keeps doing now is just insane to watch like it's just the it's the shot like you mentioned nick on a previous buzz that you know you make in the pre-games and that steph does in the pre-games and it's just you know unless you're 11 foot tall and boban marjanovic stacked on top of each other you're not going to block that yeah literally i don't think anybody could come he like shoots at a shot highest the shot clock sometimes it's like Bro, this is crazy. And he does it with ease. Like, he's very confident in making the shot where I think sometimes if you saw a player do that once in a while, he'd be like, what? But we've gotten to the point where we feel really comfortable when we see him take that attempt. 
Your yeah, coach Kenny. Then, oh, sorry, Jack. I was just going to say, Coach Kenny at the start of the season would not have let him take that shot at all. No. And Nick, you described it sometimes as a horse shot, which is a perfect way to describe it. Uh, the other part of Russell's game that I really like is that he was able to grab 10 rebounds, which I think is the first time he's done that this season. So getting more uh, aggressive on the glass is really important for this team. Any other specific players you guys want to touch on? Um, we pretty guess... much almost almost everyone except Ed and yeah. Jared Dudley, I think. Yeah, I think Ed Davis was absolutely tremendous in his rebounding and that um, awesome block, which led to the Damari Carroll bucket, was a real tide turner. Um, and in terms of Jared Dudley, I don't think he was as impactful despite being, you know, plus three in, in 22 minutes. I think that, you know, he needs to hit a few more shots. Um, I, I liked his, you know, sort of step back too. But overall, I don't think it was one of his better games in comparison. Um, but I mean, you know, if you're looking uh, statistically, he, he still wasn't bad. Uh, both of those guys uh, were still positive for the Nets, especially Ed Davis's rebound. Like 14 boards in 20 minutes is just phenomenal. Yeah, Davis is always going to be strong in the glass. And then Jared Dudley is someone that you always don't mind having on the court just because of his high basketball IQ. I want to mention someone that we didn't see tonight for a second, Rondé. Do you think that we could have used him in that fourth quarter when we let him go on a run for a little bit? Um, yes and no. Uh, I, I think that, you know, if you're taking putting out Rondé, you're probably taking out Jared Dudley, Davis, or Allen. And I think all those guys were capable enough uh, on the field tonight, you know, there were even possessions where Jared Dudley was making things difficult for Giannis. Um, I don't think he would have added as much um, in, in that sort of sense, maybe for spurts, but I don't think we lost this game um, because we didn't have Rondé out there. I think it was more what we did wrong with those guys who were out there. They didn't execute and didn't defend well enough and turnovers and all the stuff we've spoken about. Yeah, I think there probably might have been an opportunity for Rondé at certain points, but I don't think he would have probably changed the course of the game. I think against a team like the Bucks, I don't know if you can swap out Dudley because they do such a good job of kind of attacking you and playing such high-pressure defense where you kind of need the floor slightly stretched and somebody with a high basketball IQ that can make the extra pass. I think we're going to see Rondé in this game. He probably was taking minutes away from Jared Allen because Ed Davis was playing too well to kind of take away anything from his 19 minutes. But, guys, now moving on from there, you know, unless there's anything else you want to touch on for this game, I think we pretty much covered every aspect. Yeah, I think it's best to to look forward because it's going to be a tremendously stressful week and a bit for Nets fans. No, I mean, I thought there were a lot of positives to take out of this game as well, just looking forward to the rest of the schedule going on. I mean, we were able to come back down 22 against a team with Giannis, against a team that's going to the playoffs. I mean, that's always a positive when you can come back down 20 in the first quarter. Um, but definitely the negatives too. Uh, yeah, I think uh, we talked about it that first quarter, the turnovers, you know, Jack mentioned uh, defending the paint, the transition buckets. Moving on against Toronto, who they have at home on Wednesday, you know, I think matchup-wise, they can handle Toronto a little bit better than probably the Bucks. It could be a preview of the playoffs um, if, you know, all things go the Nets way. Um, you know, we've seen plenty of people, and Nick and I have chatted about it before in terms of who we'd prefer. I know I've spoken about the Toronto Raptors as being an okay matchup. You know, obviously, any of the teams, be it the, the Sixers, the Raptors, or the Bucks, would be a tremendously tough um, matchup. But I think that, you know, this, if this is a mini preview, um, we could even see Nick Nurse resting some players, you know, because at this sort of uh, part of the season, you know, we've heard Kyrie Irving say, it doesn't make sense to play all these sort of games. And after their win tonight uh, against the Orlando Magic, where all their guys were sort of out there, um, Nick posted, Nick Cavallo posted, you know, all the, some really nice lines for Gasol, 
Lowry, Green, and Leonard. Um, we could see, um, you know, some sacrifices in terms of uh, the load management sort of aspect of things. You know, if Leonard's not out there or Lowry's not out there or Gasol's not out there, uh, I think we're probably more likely to see Gasol, but Larry and Leonard, you know, we could see hopefully rest and uh, it boded well for us in that Celtics matchup just a couple of days ago. Yeah, pray up Nets fans that Kawhi just takes the game off for load management. He's done this a ton of times this season, just not against us. So just hope that he gets the night off. And then, yeah, I mean, the Toronto's not as physical as Milwaukee or Philadelphia is, so it's definitely going to be not as bad when it comes to that aspect. But they obviously are have the second-best record in the Eastern Conference, so they're going to provide a lot of challenges for us. And it looked like uh, Danny Green possibly injured his thumb, for at least tweet-wise. That's what I saw. So it looks like there'd be a good chance he's sitting out. I believe there'll be three games behind the Bucks at this point. So there's really an odd chance that they would kind of catch up to them. So it really looks likely that maybe they could rest a guy or two, especially being in Brooklyn. How confident are you guys, like if we're putting a percentage on it, that um, what's the over-under one player or more for, for uh, Nick Nurse resting? Leonard, Larry, et cetera, Danny Green. You go first, Will. Oh, God. Um, I think as long as Kawhi is out, the Nets have a better chance. Yeah. Uh, Lowry always provides challenges just because he's so good at distributing the ball. He's an underrated defender, in my opinion. But uh, what do you think, Nick? I think it'll be over. I think they'll probably rest uh, at least two guys. Like I mentioned, Danny Green, I doubt he plays, and I would think somebody else probably gets a rest, especially because it's a away game. If it wasn't Toronto, then I'd feel a little bit more confident with them not resting anybody, but since it's away, and like I said, I don't think they're going to catch the Bucks. Why take the chance? Yeah, and I, I think in just forecasting, I'm expecting a decent performance, an efficient performance from Delo because I remember him saying um, and to some outlet um, that he said that that game – was that sort of turning point, that win where the Nets were on, you know, the horrible sort of losing stretch was a major turning point for the Nets in the season. I think, you know, coming up against them again, um, obviously every game uh, from here on out is a playoff-ready game. So I think that, you know, uh, we could see uh, a big performance from D'Lo, one that we'll probably need, but um, it's going to be mighty, mighty tight. Yeah, it's just going to be a rough game if uh, all of their players play, but... um. You know, this is their first time in Brooklyn since that big loss, so hopefully Brooklyn can just take advantage of uh, needing a win. The other team's losing tonight. I mean, just need to jump the standings right now. Yeah, I mean, the Nets obviously have that game coming up, and then they have a big back-to-back on the weekend against Milwaukee and Indiana, so it would be nice to get that one. We kind of talked about this before. Magic number for the Nets is at four, so that would be huge. You know, not every night is, you know, the Pistons, the Heat, and the Magic all going to lose. In that sense, guys, I guess we'll – we can look to the other teams. The Pistons have the Pacers, the Thunder, the Hornets, the Grizzlies, and the Knicks. So you would assume they would win three of those games. I think that um, you could probably say that with confidence. The Nets have uh, the Raptors, the Bucks, the Pacers, and the Heat. So we've only got four games left. So we need to win two to sort of remain on level pegging with the Pistons. Meanwhile, the Magic have the Knicks, the Hawks, the Celtics, and the Hornets. So they've probably got three matchups that are very winnable for them. Unless the Knicks and the you know the Hawks have been playing okay, and if the Hornets somehow within striking distance, they could um, give an upset to them. But both teams have uh, pretty easy stretches compared to us, so destiny's in our hands. Yeah, I think you're kind of banking on the Heat because they have a tough matchup, and then you also get to play them the last game of the season. So you kind of still might have a chance to control your own destiny, even if for some reason they were to lose, you know, the next three games. I think they definitely have to win. Toronto is a big game. If they're able to win in Toronto, and then maybe they could catch one against the Pacers, or the Pacers seeding is already decided at that time. But it's going to be a tough stretch here. 
Yeah, it's always stressful having to bank on other teams. Uh, you want to be in that sixth seed right now with a good lead, but that's not going to happen. So you just got to look at the other games and just hope and pray that it goes your way, and then you got to do your part in winning a couple games. So I ask you guys this uh, every episode now because we're at that time of oh, the year. God. What's your percentage for playoff confidence? Jackie, you go first. All right. Um, I was 45% before, so I'll go 45.5%. Today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, you know, Magic lost, Pistons lost, Heat lost tonight. Obviously, we lost. But um, we hold the tiebreaker over the Pistons and Magic. So, And then we played the Heat last game of the year at home. So I'm going to go a little higher than Jack. I'm going to go 50%. I thought you were going to say 46. Now I'm going to stay I'm going to stay at 65. I'm going to be the optimistic one here. I just feel good about the Nets. You know, like you guys mentioned during the show, there's plenty of positives to take away, and not every night are they going to face the Bucks. They do face them again, but maybe we'll get lucky, and Antetokounmpo will sit that game. Yeah, I mean, he's just he's, – he's an MVP. He's the MVP. I don't, he's just so bloody good, and there aren't enough words uh, in the dictionary to describe how ridiculous he is. Yeah, I mean, he's him and Arden, just two best players in the NBA. He's just so good at everything. I mean, he hit a three. If he can hit that three consistently, he's easily the best player in the NBA. The yeah. league is all if you can start knocking down the three ball. But, guys, anything else you want to touch before we get out of here? Oh, man, I'm just – life as a Nets fan is always fun. But it's good to be stressed at this time of year because it's not something that we predicted. And, you know, I'll be landing as the Nets and Bucks matchup uh, finishes. I'll be in the air. I might try and buy some Wi-Fi on Delta <laughs> If it's possible, because I remember watching, you know, I only paid like 20 bucks for it and it was a nice, comfortable flight. So if that's the case, um, I don't know how, if it's possible to do a live uh, live buzz from 20,000 feet in the air, but we'll see how we go. <laughs> you might have to get the premium version of the Wi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been three or four years since we've been in this situation. So it's really nice to be in that situation again. I mean, eight seed, I think four years ago in 2015. So hopefully we can jump that to maybe the seventh seed this year, but it's just... So nice to be back in that conversation. A hundred percent, guys. And obviously, hopefully next time we chat, we're talking about a W. As always, thank everybody for listening. Thank you, Will and Jack. And follow us on iTunes, Block Talk Radio, ggbasketball.com, netsreplug.com, and YouTube. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.